Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Empower Hour podcast. The Empower Hour podcast is a platform for women to inspire, educate, and empower one another. We encourage women to be their most empowered selves mentally, spiritually, physically, and financially. And I'm your host, Kimmy, at Kimmy So Blessed. And thank you so much for joining me today. I really love this episode and I wanted to put it out as soon as possible because I just think that the information is really useful and helpful. Today's episode is one of the first for the real estate series of Empower Hour podcast. So I'm going to notate these as real estate series because I'm really passionate about real estate. I'm a realtor. I'm passionate about the ways that real estate can help build your generational wealth and create financial freedom or just as a wealth tool in general for generations to come. So that's why I love real estate. I hope you guys like this episode. I had on a really amazing guest, Sierra Elaine, and I found her via her YouTube video. So I highly recommend following her on Instagram, Sierra Elaine Media, and also go check out her YouTube channel. It's Sierra Elaine. She is a full-time mortgage loan officer from Louisiana. She also has a bachelor's in neuroscience, a master's in business administration, super freaking smart and helpful. And then this episode, we talked about what is the mortgage pre-approval process like and what are some of the myths surrounding that process, some, you know, misunderstandings about the process. And we also talked about what the pre-qualification process is like, what are some red flags you can avoid, and just really helpful information to help you start thinking about that process either for yourself or if you're in the industry, for your clients, etc. (laughs) So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. I'm going to stop talking now so we can get into it, but if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Please share it with at least one person. That would be wonderful. (laughs) The best way to help uh, me and the podcast grow is to just share it via word of mouth. Refer to a friend. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you. Let's get into it. Hi. Hey. Sierra, thank you so much for coming. It's Sierra. Yes, Sierra. I was like, did I say that wrong? Yes. Um, thank you so much for joining me here. I, and yes, congratulations on the closing today. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, I found you from YouTube. I found one of your YouTube videos and I was like, she is amazing. I love how you were delivering the content. It was so helpful and concise. Um, so I'm so glad that you were willing to come on here and share some tips with us. Um, I just want to introduce you a little bit, and then I want to let you introduce yourself also. So, Sierra Elaine. Do you you prefer Sierra Elaine? Yeah, that's okay. A full-time mortgage loan officer from Louisiana, and she has a bachelor's in neuroscience and a master's in business administration. And if you guys haven't already, please go check out her YouTube channel. She has an amazing YouTube channel focusing in finance and lifestyle and I think you have like 250,000 subscribers congratulations (laughs) it's a lot of hard work yeah (laughs) Uh, so tell me a little bit about how how did you end up getting into um, being a mortgage loan officer with the YouTube channel and all of that how did you get here Mm -hmm. so so yeah I actually have a science background I went to school for neuroscience I got my degree in neuroscience and I did that because I wanted to go to medical school and after college I ended up taking a completely different direction I ended up living in Europe for a few years and then I came back to the states and um or while I was in Europe I was a little bored so I was like let me get my master's in business because I wanted to own practice so I wanted to learn about the business side of things so I started learning about business and I got really into it but when I came back to the states um I was in a position where I had to find a job quickly I had to work I had to make money so I started doing neuroscience research and so I did that for years and I worked in academia um and I just got tired of clocking in and clocking out, so to speak, trading my time for money. 
I, I just knew, I was like, there's gotta be something more I can be doing. Um, I started my PhD in clinical psychology and I was miserable. <laughs> I was absolutely miserable. Um, and when I found out how much I would be making versus how much I was spending on student loans, I was like, I can't do this. And so I was just at a breaking point where I was like, I need something that's going to help me really generate income. Um, and so that's what brought me to mortgage lending. So I've been doing that for, gosh, it's over four years. And I really enjoy it. Um, I feel like I'm still able to use my business background and... Um, I'm also able, even with my science background, there's a lot of clients I relate to. I work with clients, you know, professors at LSU, engineer majors, things like that. Um, and the YouTube portion came in when I just started really like thinking about my channel, thinking about what is my goal? What do I want to do? What do I want to accomplish? Um, and I was like, well, why don't I just start talking about some things I'm really knowledgeable about? And of course, mortgages. Sure. Um, that was like an easy pick. So I think I just started like I did a video or two and it like blew up. People were like, yes, we want more of this content. And I was like, who knew? Yeah. That's how it got started on YouTube. And now um, I've been doing a lot of mortgage content for like the past two years, I would say. And um, it's been great. I really am passionate about financial literacy and empowering everyone. I think home buying is is so important. Home ownership is important and it's not things we're taught in school. And if your parents don't know about it or, you know, they, they don't have the knowledge, then a lot of people go without it, you know? So, um, so yeah, <laughs> that's how I ended up here. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. I always am so uh, just intrigued to hear how people get from point A to point Z because a lot of times you'll see people or meet people or you're watching YouTube video like, oh man, they're, they're so great at what they do or they're so successful here in this space. And it's like a lot of times it just takes a lot of ebbs and flows to get there. And you just have to keep going and keep following your, your passions. And you, yeah, you got a, a bachelor's in neuroscience and now you're making great content about mortgages. So you just never know. And I want to encourage people with that story to just keep going. <laughs> do what you're passionate about do what works best for you, do what you will be successful at. Like I, for so long, I tried to fit into this mold of like what I thought my parents wanted me to do and like what would look good on resumes and this and that. And then like, I think as you get older, at least for me, as I got older, I was just like, I just, I want to be happy, make money, travel, have good skin and, yes. Yes. <laughs> and live life. So <laughs> how do I do exactly. that? So, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> So true. I can relate a lot. I had my, I have a degree in accounting, worked in accounting for years and I was same, same thought process where you're like, uh, I think I could do something else and enjoy it more and make more money or just even the same amount of money and like, just be happier and enjoy life better. So, um, I am glad that our paths collided here, uh, via your YouTube channel. And so I want to get straight into the, the meat because this is a topic that I'm really passionate about. And part of my goal with this is to empower everyone, but specifically women, uh, with information that, to your point, we might not otherwise come across. Like you, you see people out buying houses or you see people who own houses and you're just, if you haven't already been exposed to that information, sometimes it's just hard to get it and you don't know where to go to get it. <laughs> Um, so I want to just give you the opportunity from someone who is an expert in this space. Uh, let's, let's just start off with, if you're thinking, I might want to buy a house, like, I think I'm tired of renting, and you have a little bit of savings, um, like, maybe at what point is it best to go in to see someone about that? Yeah, that's a good question. It's my opinion, you should go, as soon as you have that light bulb and that realization, hey, I think I may want to stop renting. I think I may want to buy. As soon as you, the thought crosses your mind, that's when you should go see a lender. And what, what should they be prepared with? Because I think of what prevents a lot of people from even taking that first step to go see someone is they're like, well, I just, I certainly don't have enough savings or um, there's no way my credit's good enough or... 
um, I don't even know what I would be able to afford. So what what do you have to say to people like that if, if they're if they're not even sure like that they could afford a house or they don't think that they have enough savings or they have too much debt yeah so what i say to those people is i think i liken it to like going to the doctor or something it, i mean you really can't know unless you <laughs> unless you're evaluated you know um i mean you can be sick and you can be like, I feel like I'm sick, but you won't get it confirmed unless you go to the doctor. So it's a lot the same way with um, home ownership. And when people come to me and they're scared and they're like, I know I probably can't get approved right now, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you're doing the right thing. Like if it were me and I were doing it, I would go straight to the lender so I could find out, okay, where's my credit at? Where does it need to be? Here's how much I have saved. What, what do I need to have saved? You know, those are kind of things that you should know and that will help you prepare. So I do a pre-qualification with um, my clients and it's a quick five minute phone call and I've even been doing them through uh, email lately because it's easier. Um, and you'll answer a few questions and I'm able to tell you uh, your likelihood of approval in terms of like what approval range you're likely to be in, if there's any red flags or anything you need to work on. Um, and it just really gives you an overall idea. So before we even pull credit, before you're doing a full application, submitting documents, we start there so that I am aware as the lender where you're starting from and you're aware as the buyer. And so sometimes there's people that come and they're like, I don't, I don't think I can get approved and I pre-qualify them. And I'm like, you're ready. Like, go yeah. apply. Like, like if you want to move, apply now. So you can't be scared about those things. It, it's like going to the doctor. I'm the same way. Like sometimes I'm scared to tell my doctor stuff, but I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's for the best. I can't work on something if I don't know where I stand with it. So that's what I would say. That's huge. That's, that's great that, um, that pre-qualification uh, call that you're having with people because I think that's a good starting point for a lot of people where they're I don't know I'm scared I don't want to get declined or I don't want to get my credit pulled and all this stuff it's like mm -hmm. just go in and have I think you said like a five to ten minute phone call with um, a mortgage loan officer so that you can at least understand what your red flags are or what you can work on uh, what are some like red flags that you would see that could that would stop the track right there um, so the first is usually credit score. Um, and, and these requirements have been changing a lot lately with COVID. So, um, I've had some people who are like, what credit score do I need to get approved? I keep hearing all these different things like, yeah. you know. so, um, guidelines are always changing. So I think it's always best to, like I said, double check with the lender at the time you're ready to buy or find out where you're at. Um, in general, I try to have most of my clients be at at least a 620 and above, because once you start going below that, it's harder and harder to get approved. And when COVID hit, a lot of the wholesale lenders um, through, like slapped on all these COVID restrictions. So really until like, a few weeks ago, we couldn't do a loan on anything under 640. Mm -hmm. And most lenders are still doing that. There's a few, they're starting to lessen and lighten up. But um, so the first thing really would be credit score. Um, the next thing is going to be income. Um, income, just making sure that you make enough to have a good DTI or a debt to income ratio. So the amount of income that you make every month versus the amount of debts you have on credit. What does that ratio look like? Right. Um, but that's something we can work on and we can fix. Uh, other red flags I would say are like late payments on credit. Um, uh, late payments on credit, I would say uh, student loans usually um, are a big issue and I see that a lot. And so yeah. I <laughs> the system for student loans. I mean, just about everybody has student loans these days, you know? And so, um, so those are issues that I see come up a lot. 
Um, that is, I'm just going to pin, drop your mortgage questions below so that people can know we will welcome their questions. Um, that's, those are all pretty on par with, you know, what, what are, I think people's biggest pain points when they're trying to get approved, um, when they're shopping around, what I had one question roll in when I posted that we were going to be speaking is like, how do you get approved? if you have student loans or are you just SOL or is there some type of strategy that you could work on if you if you're bombarded with student loans but you want to stop you want to consider buying a house yeah so really the easiest answer is to consult a lender about it um, because a good lender or a good loan officer is going to be able to help you navigate the best way for you to get approved based on your student loans, how much you have, um, what type you have, um, uh, what the structure of your payment is, that's really important. So there are ways to, you can definitely still get approved with student loans. Um, you just need to be working with a lender that is knowledgeable enough to know how to structure your loan. Um, but I guess in general, what I'll say is, most government loans, um, so think like your FHA, um, your USDA, something like that. You Even if your loans are deferred or on forbearance mm -hmm. or you're paying zero a month, right? we still have to count 1% of the entire balance of your student loans into your monthly debts. I know it doesn't seem fair. I don't make yeah. the rules. I really think they should change that. But... Um, yeah. When it comes to those, that's the guideline. No getting around that unless you have a standard repayment plan. Okay. If you have a standard repayment plan, we can use that amount instead of the 1%. Interesting. And so if that amount is lower than what 1% would be, then that may be one way to get you approved. Um, there are some clients where I've had to say, hey, you're going to have to take your student loan out of deferment. Um, till you close on this house. Right. What you choose to do with your student loans after you close on this house is your business. I'm trying to get you closed. Um, so there's lots of different strategies. Um, if you are someone that has significant student loans, I suggest going the conventional route because the conventional loan is the only loan where we can use a zero a month or any income driven repayment instead of having to count 1%. Okay, so, wait, student loan is the only type of loan that you can use an income re repayment plan towards. A conventional, a conventional okay. loan is, we don't have to take that 1%. Say you have a zero a month payment plan, say you have a $10 a month payment plan, $40 a month payment plan, we can use those with conventional. So um, a lot of my young professionals, especially if you have good credit, conventional is going to be the way to go for you. Great. Uh, that's all really helpful information. I have a question, but first I want to address, does a car that you co-signed on count towards your debt when they're calculating? Great question. Yes, but there's a hack. Okay. <laughs> there's always a hack. We're here for the hacks. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so this is if you've co-signed, is, is the question? If you've co-signed on a car, does so, it Yeah, if you co-signed on a car, does that count towards your debt? Okay, so yeah, if you as the borrower have co-signed and it's on your credit, then it will go into your debt. The exception is if someone else, um, the borrower, has been paying it on time for 12 months, one year, and you can document that, we can take it out of the DT, uh, out of your debts, out of your debt to income. Mm-hmm. That's so, yeah, so if you, or like, say it's like um, a parent and a child or something, and you're like, yeah, it's on my credit, but I actually don't pay it. My parents pay it. If you if you have documented proof one year, then we can take it out. Very cool. That was a great question and a great answer. I definitely didn't know that. That's good, because I, I know that a lot of times that can become an issue. Yeah. Um, someone asked what are the benefits of a VA loan. So maybe just generically, can you break up some, the different loan types, like you have FHA, VA, conventional, like you were saying, and give us like a 
quick brief breakdown of each and, and why each one might apply in a person's like what they're seeking what are the pros and cons I guess. Gotcha. <laughs> so um probably the most common kind of loan is the fha loan um with the fha loan you can have a higher debt to income ratio and i would say it's typically it's you don't have to be a first-time home buyer to get the fha loan but i feel like they had first-time home buyers in mind when they you know, designated the FHA loan, um, like the guidelines, um, because it's very lenient. Okay. It's the most lenient loan type out of all the loan types. Um, so usually, I go straight to FHA when I'm doing a, pr a pre-approval, unless I see indicators that the, a person should go with another loan. So most people are probably going to go FHA, especially for first-time home buyers. Um, and it has minimum 3.5% down payment. Um, so if you have a house that's $100,000, your down payment is going to be $3,500 with FHA. Um, so that's FHA. Then we've got USDA, also known as rural, I can never say this, rural <laughs> development. I just listened to your YouTube video and I was like giggling. <laughs> I can never say that. I don't know why. Yeah, I have the same problem. Rural, whatever. Loan, also known as USDA loan. It's actually what it sounds like. It's it's the same people that make the meat and regulate, you know, the um, regulate like the agriculture. They created this loan um, to encourage people to live in rural, rural, <laughs> rural areas. Um, so the USDA loan, it's also a government loan, but it's no money down. Nice. But you have to get a house that's in in an RD in a rural yeah. development. So there's only certain places that are designated. It's anywhere that the USDA designates as a rural development. Um, USDA is great for anyone, like I said, that has found a property that's in a in a in an RD, or mm -hmm. they desire to live in an RD. Um, it's you also have to great live in it, huh? You have to live in it with that. That has to be a residential. A primary residence? Yes, yes, okay. primary residence. Um, and so, yeah, so that's a great loan for those people. Um, and then the DTI cutoff is a lot lower than FHA. So when you go USDA, expect that your approval is going to be less than if you were to go FHA. But for people who don't have a lot of debt, who have really, you know, good DTI and want to live in an RD, then that's hands down a great option. Nice. Um, got VA, which is uh, what someone asked about, and that's for our veterans. That's also zero down. Um, and rates tend to be pretty good with VA as well. And um, essentially, that's that VA is pretty lenient too. Um, in terms of guidelines, I would say they're more lenient than USDA. Um, but that's a great, the, the VA loan is a great loan. So if you yes. apply for it, go for it. I yes. um, and then lastly, we have conventional, which is kind of like your, your cream of the crop um, uh, or your, your premium loan type, if you want to put it that way. It's designed for higher credit score buyers. And it's developed to be, it's designed to be very economical for higher credit score buyers. Um, and so with, conventional, the minimum down payment is going to be anywhere from three to 5% down wherever it gets approved. And that's the minimum. You do not have to put 20% down. I think that's a common misconception is that you have to put 20% down. Yeah. The reason that people put 20% down is to avoid what's called monthly mortgage insurance or private mortgage insurance, which is right. a part of your monthly mortgage. Um, so your monthly mortgage, it's one one price, but usually it's broken down into multiple fees, like your principal and interest, your homeowner's insurance, your property taxes, um, your mortgage insurance, if, if you're in a flood zone, a flood insurance, HOA. So there's um, lots of moving parts to your mortgage. Now with um, other loan types, there is a flat rate for the mortgage insurance and it stays on the loan for the entire life of the loan. Mm -hmm. With conventional, your mortgage insurance is based on your 
So, mm -hmm. so if you have a good credit score, you're going to pay a lot less in mortgage insurance, which means you're going to pay a lot less monthly going conventional, but also back to the 20%. That's why a lot of people put 20% down is because if you put 20% down, you avoid private mortgage insurance altogether. You yes. don't have it. Now, if you decide that you don't have the 20% to put down, you only want to put the minimum, you can do that. And then once you've paid off 20% of the loan, that will fall off regardless. So um, conventional, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good look for, you know, if you have good credit, if you've got high student loans, for sure. Um, and then there's also a sub program of, um, of conventional called Home Ready and Home Possible. And uh -huh. it is, it caters to moderate income, um, higher credit buyers that uh, tend to be first time home buyers. And it gives you um, a lower down payment in a lower monthly payment, lower mortgage insurance as well. So that's how I would break down the different loan types. Amazing. So much packed in there. You said the two uh, or offerings with convention was Home Ready and Home Possible? Yes. And those are programs that are within the conventional loan that people could apply towards? Correct. So when I do a pre-approval, I'm always looking to see if a borrower can qualify for home ready. Um, but it's, it's tricky though, because you have to make under a certain income and that income is based on what's called the area median income or the AMI, which varies by property type and area zip code. So it's not so straightforward as like, okay, you have to have this credit score and then you can be approved for it's uh it's it's a little more detailed so that's something definitely like to talk to your lender about sure amazing um i see some questions that we'll definitely get to but i want to keep the flow steady so let's talk about income um because i know a lot of people might worry that maybe they don't make enough to qualify or they might have some specific situations that are um of course there's a fire truck outside of course um, so I had one question that came in about income and uh, maybe you can answer this so that it'd be beneficial for everyone. Let's say that you are working in an industry and then let's say you're a single woman or a married woman and you're, you had a child and you stopped working for X period of time. And now you want to look for a home or you're in the market to buy a house what would you recommend for someone who for maybe for whatever reason had to leave the workforce and now they're looking to buy the home, but, and they have the money for the down payment, but they don't have like the W2 consistency that maybe a mortgage loan officer would look for. Okay. Uh, what would you, what kind of steps would you recommend for them? Or like, what could they do to try to get into a home if they have the money, but they just don't have the, W-2 consistency. The work history. Okay. So I think the first thing you have to um, figure out is what was the reason for the period of unemployment? Um, because there, it's looked at differently based on what the reason is, right? So if you are a woman and you go on maternity leave um, for six months or however long it is, and you're out of work because of that, or let's say you get hurt on the job or there's some kind of like verifiable, documentable, extenuating circumstance um, that is reasonable, then there's, there's exceptions that can be made on the work history. Um, and just for the record, so everyone knows, you have to have two years of work history consecutively with the same employer in the same position or role or in the same industry. And you want to avoid job gaps, if at all possible, especially, I would say anything that's like three months or more is going to put you in a risky territory. Um, now, so if so, if you've been out for a maternity leave or something like that, then you should be fine as long as you can document it. Um, okay. If it's a case where you either quit your job or you just lost your job, there's not really a extenuating circumstance 
um, then that's where <laughs> that's where to work. <laughs> well, that's where you either in in a worst case scenario, you'll have to wait until you've gotten two years on your current job or when you start working again. Um, to kind of avoid having to wait, you could look at getting a co-borrower um, okay. using their income. Because if you don't have that work history, we cannot use your income to qualify you. You can still be on the mortgage, but we wouldn't be able to use your income. So if you can get a co-borrower, then that's an option too. Um, so yeah, I would yeah. say it's either you're, you'll be able to document it Either you're going to have to wait or you're going to have to get a co-borrower. Those are great tips. Um, I know that. So let's, so if you left work, the workforce for an extenuating circumstance, you could potentially still buy if you're able to document why you left the workforce. You don't necessarily have to go back to work for another two years and then wait to qualify. No, no. Because it's, I mean that they make exceptions for those kind of situations. So like, as long as you have, um, a, you know, reasonable documentation, like obviously if you've been out for maternity leave, like, surely, yeah, or <laughs> yeah, if you have a birth certificate or surely your job will uh, be able to provide us with a document um, that confirms that. And then surely you have medical records. Um, if you've gotten hurt on the job or something, um, then you'll have medical records for that. So uh, if you're in that kind of situation or really extenuating circumstance, then um, just make sure you have documentation. Nice. That, that's a really helpful um, to know that all is not lost. Uh, if, you, if you had to leave the workforce for an extenuating circumstance, just keep the documentation and, and then go consult with someone who can help you figure out what you need or what you're missing. What about with, um, and if this is too complex, Feel free to divert, but uh, what about with COVID? Are the is it more situational because if some people if their company went out of business or things like that? Yeah, that's another one of those things that has been changing a lot. Yeah. Like day to day, there's different <laughs> guideline announcements and changes, um, and right now it varies by lender as well. Hmm. So, uh, <laughs> the easy, the easiest way to like even comment on that is to say most lenders right now require that you have to be employed at the time of closing. So that's number one. You have to be currently employed. Um, because I do have people who lost their job due to COVID or things like that. And then they still want to buy, but um, most of the lenders right now are saying you have to be actively employed. Now, when it comes to job gaps because of COVID, that is going to vary from lender to lender because, I mean, let's be honest, like, there we haven't experienced that before. Yeah. <laughs> Not at yeah, all. It's crazy. Anything like this. So <laughs> as far as I know, I don't believe there's any kind of, like, guidelines in place before COVID happened to really navigate this. So when COVID happened, lenders kind of had to mitigate risk as much as possible by throwing in their own, what we call overlays or guidelines to um, protect themselves. So a lot of them want you to be employed. Um, they do, they will verify your employment. Um, is it three days or 10 days before closing? Um, I know that they do it at least three days before closing. They have to verify that you're still employed. Um, also, changes in income. I've seen that as well due yeah. to COVID. Um, and that's, again, that's going to be lender to lender. I do feel like the lenders have taken into account that people are going through a lot. People are getting jobs, losing jobs, going back to work, going back home. You know, so they understand. That and they've, you know, they've they've made exceptions where they feel they need to. But uh, the biggest tip I can give you is just make sure that you're employed at the time of um, applying. Right, and consult with your lender because who knows? <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff is like consult with your consult lender. With your lender. <laughs> yeah. 
I get so many questions that are like, I make this much, my credit score is this much, um, I have this car payment, can I get approved? And I'm like, it's not yeah. that easy. If it was that easy, I wouldn't have a job. Like, yeah, you're like, book a session. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty complex because there's so many moving parts to a loan application that that people don't even realize. Um, one part depends on another part that depends on another part. So a lot of things aren't always necessarily cut and dry. It's gonna be dependent upon your credit score, your loan type, your property, your zip code, like your yes. state you know, laws. So um, I'm trying to give the best general information I can, but with all of this, definitely you wanna check with the lender in your area or that does loans in your state. Absolutely. And I'm glad you said that because, again, you're in Louisiana. I'm in California. Our listeners are everywhere. Things can vary state to state, county to county, city to city. So with all of this, definitely um, consult with a lender. But I think for me, the, the information is great because you might hear things or assume things or read on the Internet or a friend told you a story about why they couldn't qualify or something. And then a lot of people will just get it in their head that they can't qualify or that there's no chance for them. So they just don't even take the step to go in to see a lender, which is, I think, really important with these questions that you're at. There's so many different factors that go into it and your neighbor's um, loan is not going to be the same as yours and you're going to be qualified for different reasons. So that's, that's really great. Let's talk about also entrepreneur income um, because I know a lot of people that, that follow me are entrepreneurs and I've even had discussions in the past few days with different entrepreneurs who were like, I want to buy, but I'm not sure like how my income counts mm. or if I make like if my business shows that I make enough. So what are some tips for entrepreneurs as far as showing what they made or like what should they expect when they come to sit down with you? Okay. Well, <laughs> it's not a very fun answer. I can tell you that because I I get um I get a lot of self-employed. Actually, I'm mostly self-employed income, and so I know personally <laughs> the struggles of buying when you're self-employed. So um, the reason that people are sometimes scared to buy self-employed or get confused or concerned is because when you're self-employed, instead of going by W go by your income taxes. And when you are making 1099 income or you're self-employed, your taxes are not taken out of what you're paid. You're responsible for kind of managing your own taxes because you're allowed to write off things and get deductions. So typically, um, people tend to write off as much as they can because it lowers the amount of taxes they have to pay. So usually being a self-employed person, you can take advantage of so many different like tax breaks and things like that. Um, when it comes to buying a house, however, it works. It does not work in your favor to write things off because we go by your net income, not your gross. So we don't go by the entire amount that you made over the course of the year. We're going to go by how much did you profit or net after those deductions that you took. So in a lot of situations, let's say there's a, uh, someone made, we'll say they made, I've seen some crazy things, but I'll keep it simple. They made $100,000 that year, um, yeah. their business or their 1099 income, but they wrote off 50,000, 80,000, <laughs> um, yes. 99,000, <laughs> you wrote off. <laughs> um, so then if they were to write off $50,000, when they go, come to buy a house, I'm going to look at their income as $50,000 for that year, not $100,000, because they wrote off $50,000. So when you are a self-employed borrower, it is so important to minimize your deductions. And trust me, I know the pain. I'm literally like building a house right now. And the amount of money I have to pay in taxes literally makes me sick to my stomach. I'm getting anxiety, like thinking about it. Triggered. I hate it. Um, but that's, that's how it works. So I would say if you are planning, if you know you're going to buy in the next two years, 
start minimizing your deductions because we look at the most recent two years tax returns. So if you were buying this year, then you would have wanted to minimize the deductions on your uh, 2020 taxes and your 2019 taxes. Great, great advice. And I have to, when I was listening to your YouTube video, I heard that I, was, I didn't even know that that's how you guys how you calculated how much mm -hmm. they could qualify for. So that's important for entrepreneurs to start thinking about if you're considering taking the leap into home ownership, and you're an entrepreneur, you need to probably consult with your CPA and start to figure out <laughs> what is this going to look like from a a mortgage loan officer's perspective when they're trying to analyze how much money you're actually making and how much that's going to qualify you for. Correct. Um, let's talk a little bit about down payments. I know that's another trigger and like threshold for a lot of people, especially here in California, um, because of, like you can get a shack for $700,000. Um, what are some like maybe mis myths or misconceptions that maybe people have about down payments? Um, probably, probably with down payment, the biggest misconception is that that's all you need. Um, so for example, let's say it's, it's a USDA loan or a VA loan and you have 0% that you have to put down technically. So I think people automatically are like, I don't have, I don't have to have any money. Cool. I got $2 <laughs> in my bank account. Mm -hmm. But it, unfortunately, we have these things called closing costs, <laughs> yes, which essentially is the the amount you pay to get the loan. Um, and so, when you're buying and it's time to close, you're gonna have to bring what's called your cash to close. That's all the money you have to bring, um, and that's gonna be consistent of your down payment plus your closing costs or the portion that you're responsible for. Now, you as a realtor can talk about this part in terms of seller concessions because um, typically most home buyers don't pay all of their closing costs. Usually the real estate agent is able to get what's called seller concessions, um, which is basically money the seller gives you towards your closing costs. So if your closing costs are $8,000, and um, this is this is a very typical scenario that I would see. Like, say your yeah, say your closing costs are seven thousand dollars. This and the seller gives you five thousand in concessions. So you're going to be responsible for that last two that's left over. So you would bring your down payment plus the two thousand or whatever's left over of the closing costs that the seller didn't pay. The tricky thing is you don't know how much you're gonna get in seller concessions when you are saving your money and planning and things like that. So I tell people, if you're able to plan to save for your down payment and your closing costs, like the full cost, <laughs> as, much as, as much as you can save, because it's not guaranteed that the seller's gonna cover that. And especially with the way the market is right now, like. I want to say that in all the years I've been doing this, I don't even know if I've had a contract with no seller concessions until now. Right. Um, I literally have someone that's buying a house that's like almost $600,000. They're not getting any seller concessions. They're like, you're just lucky we looked at your offer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So don't depend on seller concessions. Save as much as you can. Save your down payment plus more. Always save more than you think you need to save. And of course, consult your lender. They should be able to help guide you on that. <laughs> yes, hashtag consult your lender. <laughs> um, I ha we had a question come in that says process of refinancing and cashing out equity. Uh, again, if it's too much, feel, feel free to give us what you can give. But how, do, how is the process different for like refinancing versus maybe your first mortgage? Yeah, so um, it's going to depend on the type of refinance that you do. So if you've gotten an FHA loan and you decide that you want to refinance, you can either do what's called a streamlined refinance 
or a traditional refinance. With the streamlined refinance, you don't have to submit income documents. You don't have to get another appraisal. Essentially, you, um, we pull your mortgage report, um, basically showing that you've made your payments on time for your mortgage. We don't even pull your credit, actually. Mm, interesting. Mortgage report. So obviously, if you can go streamline, that's the way to go. And that's drastically different than a purchase, than the wow. purchase right um now if you're going with a traditional refinance which is typical of most loans then um you are required to get another appraisal um and then you also will have to submit income documents so it's similar to the uh the purchase process in that way um, now, in terms of the cash out refinance, that's all going to be based on the equity you have in your home. So let's say that you bought your home for $100,000 and uh, you've been paying it down and you only owe $50,000. That gave you $50,000 in equity or $50,000 $50, of, you can look at it as ownership almost, uh, or like $50,000 that you already paid and you can actually get back if you do a cash out refinance or if you do like a HELOC, which, but right. that's different. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so the amount that you paid your house down by, you can actually get back if you need to, if you do a cash out refinance. Now, where they really differ, I would say too, is in the interest rates and the pricing. Um, Interest rates are going to be higher for cash out. I can tell you that now. <laughs> okay. um, so interest rates are, tend to be higher. Um, and I don't know, some might consider this a good thing or a bad thing. Instead of closing costs, like when you purchase a home and how it's just like save your closing costs, you have to bring them to closing. You do not have to do that with a refinance. You can actually roll your closing costs into the loan. Awesome. Um, so, you know. That can be great, or you may say, I don't want to hire, you know, I don't want to add to my own amount. But, um, so yeah, so those are the main differences. Got it. Um, that was really helpful. Someone asked, my net pay decreased due to taking a medical leave. I've signed my contract for the next school year with a pay increase. So will that decrease affect how much I can afford? I think that's similar to what you said as an ex extenuating circumstance. If they, if they had a net pay decrease due to a medical leave and now they have a new contract with a higher income how will that net out or will they be able to honor the new contract or is this go consult a lender <laughs> so actually it, it it works a little differently actually so if you are salaried and you got a raise um meaning basically so with with a salary is looked at as extremely consistent. And it sounds like in this situation, that's what's going on. Cause if you have a contract, usually that's a salary. Um, so if you're salaried, we can use your most recent income. No questions asked. Oh, so situation where she was making lower income when she was um, on medical leave, but came back and has a contract, we can use your raise amount for your income. Wow. That's great. I didn't know that either. <laughs> um, I had I had a quick question. I don't know. I shouldn't say it's a quick question, but um, if someone you 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 mentioned this briefly, but let's say that they're not quite where they need to be to qualify for what they want, um, and they've decided to have a co-signer. So let's say maybe it's a parent or a spouse or even a friend. Um, like what are the, what are the pros and cons to that, I guess, as far, or like what risks are involved there or what are, what is your two cents on having a co-signer? Yeah. Um, so I think it, I don't necessarily see like any major risks. I think when it comes to evaluating risk, that's going to be very dependent upon your personal situation and your relationship with the co-borrower and what their financial situation is. Um, because we all know if you co-sign for something, essentially it's like, it's your bill, you know, it goes on your credit. If it doesn't get paid, it's going to affect your credit. You know, you're responsible still. So, um, 
I mean, I would, I would say it, a risk is, I guess, if the other person's not paying or if there's some kind of disconnect between both borrowers. Um, just make sure that if you have a co-borrower, it's someone who, you know, has decent income and credit and is open to submitting documents. Um, and so it would take the co-signer's income instead of your income, or does it combine them? So if we can count your income, then they get combined. Okay. If we can't count your income, then obviously the other person's um, income is what we would use. And it would take your credit score or the co-signer's credit score? Or whoever's is better? <laughs> whoever's worse. <laughs> <laughs> whoever's is worse? Yes. So, um. so obviously we go by the middle score. So we don't, you know, you have three credit scores. So we don't go... Your qualifying score is considered your middle score. So it's not the highest score you have or the lowest. We take the one that's in the middle and that is considered your qualifying score. So if you have a 700, uh, 650 and a 675, your qualifying score is gonna be a 675. Okay, so each borrower is gonna have their own qualifying score, their own middle score. So my my scenario i just went through i have a 675 uh middle score qualifying score my co-borrower has a 580 middle score we have to qualify your overall qualifying score is based on the lowest middle score between both borrowers so my middle score is 675 um co-borrowers is 580 so overall our qualifying score is 580. Wow, got it. No, oh, it blows. <laughs> That's another one of those things that I'm just like, well, I don't make the rules. We got to do it that way. <laughs> and it's, it's just interesting. So it, even though this is a financial conversation, um, the application of that is like, you got really like when you're dating or when you're making friends with people, like it, I was just thinking if you're a group of friends, you want to buy a house together and you're all going to live in it. You're like, mm, what's your credit score though? Sorry, yeah. I don't even know if we can have this conversation. Or <laughs> yeah, your fiance. It's like you gotta have that moment where you are like, all right, let's say each other's credit scores on three. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that's important. That's why I said just make sure that it's someone who has decent credit. It's not gonna bring you down. <laughs> you actually want them to help your situation improve, not bring it down. Yeah. Um, but yeah. also. Do know that for my clients who do end up having to use a co-borrower, after you've made six on-time mortgage payments, you can refinance, right? So um, let's say your score isn't where it needs to be or your income or something is not where it needs to be. Take the time you need, um, whether, you know, let's say it's two years later, a year later, you can refinance and get it put into just your name once you're capable of doing so. So it's not the end of, you know, if you have to have a co-borrower. Very helpful information. Um, that's, yeah, I'm gonna write that down. Um, this is a good one I think we can get to last. Uh, it says, when calculating DTI, does a lender include your new mortgage payment? New mortgage payment. So I guess, are they saying, do when they're calculating your debt to income ratio, are they taking into consideration the new debt, the new mortgage payment that you're gonna have as, as part of your oh, debt? Okay. Yeah, that's so yes. Yes. Okay. I think the easiest answer to say is yes. <laughs> so when you're going to sit down in that situation, you, you you're you should be more cognizant not only of just your current debts that you're gonna have, like let's say you're at home kind of thinking about what your debt to income ratio is, you also can't forget maybe now you're paying rent, but you need to consider what your new mortgage payment's gonna be. Yep. Yep. That, that determines your DTI. So what your estimated mortgage payment is going to be um, is going to make a huge difference in your approval. Um, and then remember I said your mortgage payment's broken down into all those different components. So when we're going through the buying process, I tell my borrowers, I'm like, look, you by law can choose whatever insurance policy you want. Like, you know, it's your choice. But be careful about just choosing the whatever policy, the most expensive policy, um, because that is going to affect your DTI. So you just have to be mindful of that when you're, you know, going through the process. But yeah, it does count. Yes. Amazing. Um, let me just see if there's any other 
questions. Ask that I did just want to answer really quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Um, actually, I don't see the question anymore, but I, I, I think someone had asked something about rape, and I there's something that I want to say about the rape situation because yes. this is the biggest pet peeve of mine, <laughs> and I feel like to understand this and know this. When people come to me a lot of times or go to their lenders, they're like, I want the best rate, right? Or they see a commercial or a radio ad where a bank says, today's rate is a 2.5. So they think, okay, I want that 2.5. Yeah, yeah look at that. <laughs> um, it does not work like that. When you hear about these, uh, when you see like a bank or lender throw out a rate, um, that's a generic, average, best case kind of situation. Your rate is going to be dependent upon your credit score, your loan type, your loan amount. <laughs> and it also is going to depend on what the market is doing. Because rates are dependent upon the stock and the bond market, which we know changes every day and throughout the day. So, um, so that's number one. There's no one rate per day for everyone. Um, number two, don't focus solely on rate. People are so rate conscious, which is great, but then sometimes it's to a detriment. People can be so concerned about rate, they're ignoring a lot of other important stuff in terms of cost, fees, pricing. Um, I'm My company is a broker and a lender. So we, we have access to like probably total like 20 different lenders. So what I do is I'm able to shop different lenders to find my clients the best rates. Now I can get a borrower any rate they want. I can get you the lowest of, I don't even know what the lowest rate is right now. It may be like 2.375 or I don't even know what it, it might be 2. Point, I don't one. I don't know. I can get you the lowest possible rate that exists on the planet but it's going to come with a cost. You're going to have to pay origination or discount point fees yeah. um, in accordance with your, uh, with your rate. And so the lower in rate you go, the more you're going to have to pay for it. It's what's called a buy down. You're buying down your rate. On the flip side, you can also go up in rate and get credit towards your closing costs. Hmm. And I don't know if a lot of people know that, but... Um, that is a tool that we have um, with our wholesale lenders as a broker. Um, well, and as a, as, a, um, as a lender as well. So don't get too caught up on rate is really what I want to say. Um, yeah. I had someone that was like, oh my God, I got a three point on a conventional loan, mind you. They were like, I got it. One of my friends was like, I got quoted at 3.25. <laughs> I wanted 3.125. I was like, dude. Like, okay. <laughs> rates are so bomb right now. Like, that's an amazing rate for a conventional loan, first of all. When yes. I started in this business, that rate would have been probably like a 4.5. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. number one, <laughs> know that like rates are good. Any rate you get right now is likely going to be pretty decent. Um, also, rate rate like the difference between rates is only a small difference in your monthly payment so you may think like oh i'm getting a great deal because i'm getting a three percent instead of a 3.125 <laughs> that may be like a ten dollar difference a month on, on your mortgage now i'm not saying that like oh just you know it doesn't matter but i'm saying if you're gonna stay in your house for your entire life or for the entire course of the loan yeah maybe that might be worth it um, to save that $10 over the course of the entire loan. But most people don't do that. And um, most people aren't, aren't phased by like a $10 a month difference. So let just don't get caught up on rate. <laughs> that, that's my that. closing statement. That is a great closing statement. I personally really appreciate that too, because it's not something I would have thought to bring up, but definitely something that always comes up in conversation where people again will just avoid the entire process of home shopping or even thinking about it because they're like, I heard on the news that rates are going up. And it's like, just go in, have the conversation, see where you're at. And again, to your point, know that we're at a historical low right now. So just 
be grateful. <laughs> and you can buy down. Come prepared if you want to buy down. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to go up eventually. And now, I mean, I can't speak for other lenders with myself. I'm doing everything digitally right now. I stopped going to closings during COVID just because of the guidelines and they, they want less people. But I, I'm fully digital. I do all my loans digital. I live in Louisiana, but um, I've done loans in Texas, um, Mississippi, Alabama. I, we just got Georgia, Florida. Um, I do loans like everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but a lot, of, a lot of different places. And I can do that and it's seamless because everything is digital. So if that is um, intimidating you, don't let it intimidate you because there are lenders like myself that you can do a pre-qualification over the phone, you can do it over email, you do your application online, submit your documents online, everything online. So don't let that scare you. Thank you so, so much. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but this was really, really packed full with information. Um, and if people want more, your YouTube is packed full of information or they can book a consultation with you. So why don't you run down real quick and like give us where people can find you and, and see more of you. Yeah. So right here on Instagram, this is my main Instagram page. I also have a loan officer page where I post lots of um, mortgage tips and advice and hacks, much like today. Um, it's Sierra Foster Loan Officer. If that's too long for you, I do have it linked in uh, my account here, my Sierra Elaine media account. Um, YouTube is the same. YouTube is Sierra Elaine, C-I-A-R-A-E-L-A-I-N-E. Love it, Sierra. Thank you so much. We're going to have to have you back for some more gems later on. Um, I really appreciate your time, and I hope everyone listening got something out of it. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Bye.